0: So how many of you know what today is? It is Reformation Sunday. Now, much of the church doesn't really make a big deal about Reformation Sunday. And there's a handout on the back, what is Reformation Day? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a little bit from this. And, and I want to read some scripture to you. To help you understand why what we're going to talk about today is important. What is Reformation Day? On this little handout that's back there that you're welcome to take with you. I just want to read the first sentence or two. It says, a single event on a single day changed the world. It was October 31st. Fifteen seventeen. Now, for most people, October 31st doesn't mean anything except Halloween. It's a day when you can go get free candy if you wear a costume or if you just go door to door. People have varying views about Halloween. And my message, my sermon today is not going to be about Halloween. I could really care less, per se, about Halloween this is the day the Lord has made and what I want you to understand and this is one of the reasons we're talking about reformation today the statement I just read that a single event on a single day changed the world we live in a culture today where people do not know history we don't even know the history of our own nation much less What happened 499 years ago, but history is important. And let me read from the scripture why history is important. In the book of Ecclesiastes, the first chapter, beginning in verse 9, I'm going to read verses 9 through 11. Solomon is the writer of Ecclesiastes. Solomon was called the wisest man, the wisest king. People came from far and wide to see his riches, to see the wisdom of his kingdom and the way he operated things. In that sense, he was a type of Christ. But here's what wise King Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 9. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said? See, this is new. It has already been in ancient times before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. Have you ever heard the the phrase, history repeats itself? Well, this is why history repeats itself, because we forget. This is what the Bible says. We forget. Those, there, there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. In the third chapter of Ecclesiastes, verse 14, Solomon continues. He says, I know that whatever God does, and I want you to listen to this. I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it, and nothing can be taken from it. Nor, does it. nor does it that men should fear before Him. I'm sorry, God does it that men should fear before Him. Let me read that again. I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it, and nothing can be taken from it. God does it that men should fear before Him that which has already been And what is to be has already been, and God requires an account of what is past. Moreover, I saw under the sun, in the place of judgment, wickedness was there. And in the place of righteousness, iniquity was there. And I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, For there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. There is a time there for every purpose and for every work. Solomon says, I saw in the place of judgment there was wickedness. I saw in the place of righteousness that there was iniquity. But he said, God will judge. God will judge the righteous and the wicked. A single event on a single day changed the world. That is not an exception throughout history. There have been single events on single days throughout history that have changed the world. We're just not aware of them. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and open our minds today. That you would help us to see beyond ourselves, that you would help us to see beyond our sphere of influence, that you would help us to see beyond our time, not just into the future, but help us to see into the past and understand how you have worked, how you are working, and how you will continue to work in the affairs of man as you continue to craft, to write, and to bring about your story. In Jesus' name, Amen. History is His story. We are a part of history whether you believe it or not, whether you like it or not, whether you feel very important or whether you feel very unimportant. The chances that any of our names will ever be written in a book, other than maybe someone's diary, are slim to none, and that's okay. I have a timeline of just random events that... (laughs) really aren't random. Do you believe in random events? I don't believe there are such a thing as random events. I don't believe we live in a random world. I don't think it's an accident that planet Earth is placed exactly where it is in our solar system and our solar system is placed exactly where it is in our galaxy, and our galaxy is placed exactly where it is in our universe, and all of that is moving with with an intricacy that is mind boggling. If one random event one way or the other was to change or move, the whole thing would be but it's not. And you know why it's not? Because it's not random. In 1436, a man named John Gutenberg invented the movable type printing press. Now, that might not be a big deal to you and I today, but I promise you in 1436, when man gained the power to print words in mass and distribute them to the masses, it literally revolutionized the world. It was world changing. Nine years later, Gutenberg printed his first Bible, the Gutenberg Bible. There is one, one of the original Gutenberg Bibles still resides at the University of Texas. A couple of years ago they had the King James uh, Bible exhibit that was traveling all over. And of course UT brought out their Gutenberg Bible as part of the history of the Bible. In 1483 there was a man born by the name of Martin Luther. The Luther family weren't anyone rich or famous or influential. They weren't royalty, they didn't sit on thrones, but Martin Luther became a Catholic priest, got an education, got a master's degree in philosophy, got a bachelor's degree in theology. Nine years after Luther was born, Columbus came to the New World in 1492. In 1493, the Pope... Now listen to me, I have a point in all of this. In 1493, the Pope divided... The New World Discoveries Between Spain and Portugal. Do you know what language they they speak in Brazil? Huh? They speak Portuguese in Brazil. Do you know why they speak Portuguese in Brazil? Because the Pope in 1493 gave what we know of as Brazil today to the Portuguese king. And he gave other parts of South and Central and North America... To the Spanish king. Who made that decision? It wasn't the king of Portugal and it wasn't the king of Spain. It was the Pope who decided who was going to get what? Real estate. Because the Pope ruled the world. The known world. The world we know of. The world we know of as Europe the new world that had just been discovered. They were also going the other direction. In 1495, a guy by the name of William Tyndall was born in England. In 1509, a man by the name of John Calvin was born in France. And in the same year that John Calvin was born in France... Henry VIII became the King of England. Now, when John Calvin was born in France, the very same year Henry VIII became King of England, I promise you, John Calvin's parents had no clue what their son was going to be. And they had no clue that Henry VIII just had become King of England probably didn't matter to them. It might not matter to you. But I want you to understand, these seemingly random events aren't separated and they're not random. They've all worked together to enable us to sit in this room today. Here's one I especially liked. In 1515 coffee appeared in Europe now I don't know if it's an accident that two years later Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis on the castle door at Wittenberg I don't know if he was drinking any coffee while he was up meditating and writing his stuff but in 1517 two things happened that changed the course of of history and the course of the world. And that has a direct direct impact on each and every one of us here today, though you might not, unless you're a history buff, you might not even know it. Two things happened. First was Pope Leo X declared indulgences to rebuild St. Peter's Basilica. So in the spot that Peter was supposedly crucified, And buried, he was buried, according to church history, about 490 feet from the spot that he was crucified. In the place that they buried Peter, they built a church. Very early on, they built a church, and then they built it more and built it more. And by the time Pope Leo the Tenth is ruling in Rome in 1517, he decides he wants to build or rebuild Saint Peter's Basilica. The only problem is he didn't have any money. So they came up with this idea. Now, back in the day, back in Pope Leo's day, the language they spoke was Latin. So if you went to church in 1517, the priest would be standing with his back to you He would be facing the altar, and the Mass would be conducted in Latin. That's true whether you were in Germany and you spoke German, whether you were in Spain and you spoke Spanish, whether you were in um, Holland and you spoke Dutch, whether you were in England and you spoke English, or whether you were in Ireland and you spoke Gaelic, it didn't matter. All over the world, the Mass was said in Latin and the language of the clergy was Latin. And the Bible was translated either in Greek, Hebrew, or Latin. How many of you are fluent in Latin? Please raise your hand. Latin. Not Spanish, Latin. Well, guess what? In 1517, you wouldn't have been out of place because the vast majority of the human race was uneducated and did not speak Latin, couldn't read Latin. Now, let me give you, let me back up just a moment. So remember, a single event on a single day changed the world. The Reformation was the greatest religious movement for Christ since the early church. It was a revival of biblical and New Testament theology. The Reformation officially began in 1517 when Martin Luther challenged the Roman church on the matter of indulgences. And when Luther did this, he had no idea what impact he was going to have on the world. Or what his simple action of nailing a list of 95 complaints against the Roman Catholic Church. He had no idea that just the simple act of nailing those things to the castle door would literally change the world. Luther did not set out that day to change the world. He just set out to make a public statement against what he thought was an injustice. Here's what Philip Schaff, a historian, says about the Reformation. The Reformation of the 16th century is, next to the introduction of Christianity, the greatest event in history. It marks the end of the Middle Ages and the beginning of the modern times. Starting from religion, it gave directly or indirectly a mighty impulse to every forward movement and made Protestantism the chief propelling force in the history of modern civilization. You and I don't think much about looking through it. How many of you have ever looked through a telescope? Were you punished for looking through a telescope? There was a guy by the last name of Bruno who was burned at the stake because... He believed something different than what the official line of the church was. So they burned him at the stake and it involved telescopes and it involved astronomy and it involved understanding how our planets and our solar system work. Now, before 1517, there were some people who had this idea. Let's go back to this thought. None of us speak Latin. None of us read Latin fluently, at least. Maybe some of you do. I don't know. I don't. So in 1517, the people didn't really know what the Bible said because they couldn't read the Bible because most people were illiterate. And if they could read, chances are they didn't read Latin because they couldn't go to a university or school where they could learn to read Latin. Because remember, there was no such thing as the printing press until just a few years prior to that so there weren't any places where you could go to half-priced books and buy a Latin for dummies book. There was no such thing as a library that the general public could go to and check books out and read because, because they didn't print those things in the common language. But do you know, long before 1517, that was troubling to some people. There was a man named John Wycliffe, born in 1330. And he attacked what he saw as corruptions within the church, including the sale of indulgences. So indulgences came along long before Luther. There were not only indulgences, there were things called pilgrimages. And the excess veneration of saints and the low morale and the intellectual standards of ordained priests. Wycliffe said, this is not right. He also repudiated the doctrine of transubstantiation. That's the doctrine that says when you take that bread and drink that cup, it becomes the flesh of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. He held that the Bible was the sole standard of Christian doctrine, and he argued that the authority of the Pope was not grounded in Scripture. Some of Wycliffe's early followers translated the Bible into English, and guess what happened to them? They were killed. While later followers known as Lollards held that the Bible was the sole authority and that Christians were called upon to interpret the Bible for themselves. I encourage you, bring your Bible to church. When I read Scripture, you read Scripture. Because you shouldn't take my word for what the Bible says. You should... Read the Bible for yourself. In fact, the Bible commands you to read your Bible along with me, to study your Bible along with me so that when I preach and teach to you, you know whether I'm telling you the truth or not. And the Bible says, if I'm not telling you the truth, you need to call me on it. You need to make sure that what I'm teaching you is true. Now, how are you going to do that if you don't read your Bible? Now, here today, having a Bible is not a problem. Most people have lots of Bibles. Problem is, not that they don't have a Bible, it's that they don't read their Bible. It was a different problem back in the day. In John Wycliffe's day, no one had a Bible. People wanted Bibles. They wanted to read the Word, but they couldn't because it was against the law for them to read the Bible. It was against the law to print a Bible in a language you could read yourself and understand yourself. Instead, what the church promoted was, I went to Santa Fe, New Mexico a few weeks ago, and I went in one of the oldest churches in North America, And they had a bone from the little finger of St. Francis behind a thick glass. It was a relic. People would go to that church in Santa Fe and they would give indulgences. They would pay to see the little bone of St. Francis' little finger. Who knows whether it's really the bone from his little finger or not. St. Francis would turn over in his grave if he knew that, that any part of him was set up as an object of worship or an object of veneration, and, and that somehow somebody in power would use that to extract money from people to convince them that if you pay money to see St. Francis a little bone, you, you won't spend nearly as much time in purgatory, or your loved one's going to get out of purgatory quicker than they would otherwise. That's what indulgences were. So the problem in that day was people couldn't read the Bible. They had no clue what the Bible said. All they had was what a priest told them, what the church that ruled the world told them was true, and you either believed it or you didn't believe it. Well, if you are uneducated, you can't read, and these are people you're supposed to trust, and they tell you this is the way it is, you kind of believe that, right? Here's another God born in... 1369. His name was John Huss, a good Bohemian. I'm half Bohemian. John Huss was a Bohemian priest. He was excommunicated in 1410, and he was burned at the stake for heresy in 1415. His death led to the Hussite Wars in Bohemia. Huss followed Wycliffe's teaching. He translated Wycliffe's dialogues into Czechoslovakian. He modeled uh, he 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 understood the people need the scripture. The people need to be able to read the word of God for themselves. Long before there was a man named Calvin or Luther, Huss believed in predestination. He regarded the Bible as the ultimate religious authority and argued that Christ, rather than any ecclesiastical official, is the true head of the church. So there were men who laid the groundwork when Luther came along. And those men not just laid the groundwork, but they lost their lives trying to give the Bible to people like you and me so that we could read it and understand it in our own language so that we could see if the priest or the pastor was telling us the truth because now we're reading the same Bible he's supposedly quoting from. Well, in 1517, in an effort to rebuild St. Peter's Basilica, the Roman church has this big marketing campaign to sell indulgences. They went all over Europe and they sold indulgences. What does that mean? That means my dear mother who died last year Is she in heaven? Well, no, she's in purgatory. Well, how long is she going to have to stay in purgatory? Centuries. Well, I don't want my mother to be in purgatory for centuries. Well, here's how we can get her out quicker. The more money you give, the more prayers will be said, and the quicker your dear mother will get out of purgatory and finally make it to Jesus. Now, If you are uneducated and you believe that's true and who doesn't love their mother, do you want your mother to be with Jesus or do you want your mother to spend centuries in purgatory? Now, you want your mother to be with Jesus. Luther, while this is all happening, Luther's beginning to read his Bible because he's going to Bible school. He was asked to be a professor at Wittenberg College, so he starts studying his Bible. He's already an ordained priest, he's already doing the Mass, but now he starts to study his Bible, and he's reading his Bible, and guess what he reads in his Bible? He reads that the, the uh, the, the just shall live by faith. He begins to read the Gospel. And he realizes, he starts searching the Scripture. It's like, all this stuff that I'm promoting, I don't see it in the Bible anywhere. And he has an aha moment. And he says, this is wrong. So on October 31st, 1517, after making a list of 95 things, that were wrong. Takes him down, he nails him to the castle door. Word got out pretty quick. And after that, we can say, I think fairly, that all hell broke loose. So from 1517, it was just a few years Later in 1521, Charles V, who was the Holy Roman Emperor, he was from Spain, from the house of the Habsburgs. They ruled, they ruled Europe. He proclaimed Luther a public outlaw. Luther had to hide out literally for his life. And it goes on, and Luther's influence led to men like Zwingli and Calvin and Knox. Elizabeth I, Queen Elizabeth I restored the Reformation back to England. King Henry VIII started it, but he only did it because he wanted to divorce his wife. He really wasn't interested in theology. He just wanted a child for his throne. But that selfish, sinful act of having his wives killed until he got one that could give him a child actually contributed to the Reformation taking root in England. And guess who Elizabeth I's mother was? Anne Boleyn, the wife that King Henry VIII married after he had his other one executed. And Elizabeth was the child of that sinful union and that murderous king, but God took that child and brought a reformation to England. Now, why might that be important for us? Well, because we happened to live in a nation that was under the rule of England. We happened to live in a nation and pilgrims came over here not so much because they didn't have religious freedom, but they weren't able to practice and flourish in their faith because where they lived had become so hardened to the gospel and life was hard. And it, and it was just like licentious living. Do you know where the pilgrims were from? They were from the Netherlands. They were from Holland. Holland. You go to Amsterdam today, guess what? You're going to see the same thing. Free sex, free drugs, free everything. Live any way you want, do anything you want. That didn't just start in the modern times. That's the way it was when the pilgrims left in 1620. And they said, we don't want our kids to grow up in this environment. We want to be able to raise them in the fear and the nurture of the Lord. We want to go to a place where we can establish A gospel-centered life in a gospel-centered community. So guess what they did? They sold everything they had. They left everything they had. They got on a boat and they came to America. In 1620, you know what helped make that possible? That single act on that single day made that possible. That sinful king who produced a child, who brought the Reformation back to England, helped make that possible. So what, what, what's the big deal about the reformation? There were five points. The first is this, the reformers all agreed on this. The Bible only. In Latin, it's sola scriptura. Only the Bible. The Reformers declared that the Bible will be the only rule of faith and practice. They believed that God had made a revelation in written form to men in the Bible. And they taught that the Bible was inspired by God and authoritative, and that it took precedence over the declarations of popes, church tradition, and church councils. And they asserted that men under the illumination of the Holy Spirit are to study the Bible. That means you. You. Men and women under the illumination of the Holy Spirit are to study the Bible. How many of you are trusting in Jesus for your salvation? Well, if you're trusting in Jesus for your salvation, guess who lives on the inside of you? Christ lives on the inside of you by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And the Holy Spirit in you is to give you illumination. What does that mean? That means when you read the Bible, trust that God will give to you the understanding that you need. That you don't have to depend on a priest or a church council or a church edict or a papal bull to tell you what to believe, you now have the power, the authority, and we live in a free nation. You can go down and buy another Bible today when you get out of church if you want to, just because you can. And now you can read this Bible, and the Holy Spirit in you can bring illumination and affirm and confirm what this Bible is declaring. The reformers believed that and they fought and died for your right and my right to be able to do that. To study the Bible, to learn about God, to learn about Christ, to learn about his salvation. They encouraged Christians to read and study their Bibles in a scholarly way, so as to form a biblical theology based on the authority of the Scripture alone. The Bible, written in Latin and read only by the clergy, was translated now into the common language of the people and was given back to the people. That truth of the Bible, the truth of the Scripture, the reformer said it should permeate everything. There shouldn't be a separation of sacred and secular. We should take the Spirit of God, we should take the truth of God, and we should take it out into the world, and it should fill the world, and it should influence everything we do. You are living in a nation today that was influenced in that very way. The very Constitution that guarantees our civil freedoms was crafted and written by men, whether they, to whatever degree they would admit it, to whatever degree they were committed to it or believed it, but every one of the men who crafted our Constitution were impacted by the Reformation. They were impacted by the reality of the Scripture being translated into a common tongue, and when they wrote our Constitution, they wrote it, with an understanding of biblical truth, if you've never read the Constitution, I would encourage you to go home today and Google it and read the Constitution. And it won't take much for you to see that that Constitution was drafted from a biblical worldview. And the reason it was drafted from a biblical worldview is because men like Wycliffe and Huss and Luther and Calvin and Knox influenced their world to bring to the world scriptural truth in a way that the common man can read and understand. So the Bible only Here's the second thing that they stood firm on. God's glory only. Soli Deo Gloria. For the glory of God alone. The underlying foundational doctrine of the reformers was that God's glory was the ultimate purpose of all things. Now I... I just did a real quick thumbnail sketch of some random events. King Henry VIII marries Anne Boleyn. King Henry VIII becomes king the year John Calvin is born. Anne Boleyn just happens to produce Elizabeth I, who just happens to entrench Reformation theology into England so that by the time America is founded and becomes a British colony. Guess what's entrenched in America? Reformation theology. Those pesky Scottish Presbyterians who were a pain in the neck to everybody, they came to America and became a pain in the neck to the king here, as well as being a pain in the neck to the king there. Because why? Because they were determined that it was their right to worship and to read the Scripture, and to live in gospel-centered community, and no king, and no pope, and no government was going to tell them otherwise. It was their God-given right, and they were willing to fight for it. I submit to you, dear friends, that we would not be sitting in this room today having this conversation had those men not done what they had done. And they would not have been able to do what they did had the reformers not paid the price with their very lives to get the Bible you have in your hands right now printed in a language you can read and understand. Yet we live in a culture who has devalued the Scripture, who cares nothing about reading it, who sees no importance to it, except that everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody really wants to go to hell. They just are trying to figure out a way to get there that's going to be most convenient for them. But life is not convenient. Freedom is not convenient. It wasn't convenient for the reformers. It's not going to be convenient for us. God does all things for his glory. He works all things for his glory. The most terrible things, the most horrendous things, believe me, God works for his glory. How many of you know what the 30 years war is? Anybody? See, most people, Americans... American school children don't even know about the Civil War or the Revolutionary War. You ask somebody, what's the 30-year war? And they're going to look at you like, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, the 30-year war that began in 1618 was a direct result of the Reformation. And it was a religious war. And it was a war that encompassed all of Europe. And it was a battle basically between Catholics and Protestants. And it was the Holy Roman Empire holding on to its right to rule the world, and it was these nation-states and these kingdoms who said, we want to be free. We don't want to pledge allegiance to a pope. We want to read our Bible in German and English and French. and and It's our right. It's our God-given right. So for 30 years, a war takes place. At the end of 30 years, they finally have this complicated peace to make the long story short, the Pope, the Roman Empire, which now was no more, from the Thirty Years' War, the Holy Roman Empire, that's what it was called, which basically was the old Roman Empire, now controlled by mostly one family, the Habsburgs. It just all disintegrated, and now you had all these different nations. It's pretty much became what we know of as modern-day Europe. But the genesis of that was religion. It was worship. Men wanted to be free to worship. They wanted to read their Bibles, study their Bibles. And so a piece was drawn, and they said, okay, people can choose. If you're in France, if you want to be a Protestant, you are free to be a Protestant. We won't kill you anymore. Or if you're in Germany, if you want to be Catholic, you can be Catholic. Let every man decide how they want to worship. That doesn't seem strange to us today. That seems very common to us today. But the reason it's common to us today is because there was a price paid. There were men who literally fought for your right to say, I want to be this denomination or I want to be non denominational. We're non denominational. There would have been a day when they would have burned us at the stake because we said, we're not affiliated with anybody except the Bible. Oh, you're a heretic. Kill them. That's literally what they did. Oh, you don't want to be affiliated with the Pope? Kill them. They're heretics. Oh, you want to read the Bible in German? You believe you can study the Bible? You're a heretic. Burn them at the stake. That seems so foreign to us. And you know where all that really got legs and started moving? It was a single event on a single day. October 31st, 1517. You know when my grandkids go out and get candy tomorrow at the Spooktacular? I could care less about a Spooktacular. October 31st is the day that my freedom to worship Jesus was given legs by a monk named martin luther god took back halloween from the devil do you know what the days of the week thursday who knows what thursday means anybody besides the day before the the day before the day before the weekend do you know what thursday means it means thor's day you know who Thor is? Thor was the Norse god. Come on. You got any Avenger fans here? Thor, the hammer wielding. Hmm, Thor. He was a god. People worshiped him. Thursday, that's his day. Are you guys gonna quit having Thursday because now you know it's Thor's Day? Because that's what it is. Sunday, you know what Sunday is? The sun god. He was the preeminent guy. How many of you knew that? I would be willing to bet if any of you knew it, it's a very small percentage that even know that. Do you know what that's a testimony of? That's a testimony of the fulfillment of the scripture. God says, I'm going to take the gospel, I'm going to fill the world with it, and all of these pagan gods that these tribes and these people worship, they're going to be forgotten and remembered no more. So now what's Thursday? Thursday's just the day before Friday. What's Sunday? Sunday's the day we go to church. It's the day we watch football. It's the day whatever. You don't think about worshiping the sun god. You don't think about worshiping Thor. Why? Because God took those back. Because God has relegated those lesser gods to nothing. They're thrown on the heap pile, the trash pile of history, and people don't even know who they are today. But guess who we do know today? We know the Lord God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, We know the one who really made Sunday, the one who really made Thursday. You can call it what you want, but it is the day that the Lord has made. You can say Halloween came from the Druids, but I'm going to tell you what, Halloween, October 31st is the day that the Lord made and he took that day and he brought a reformation that has changed your life in ways that you will never understand. Don't worry about understanding it. I don't understand electricity, but I am thankful we have it, and I take advantage of it every day, and I enjoy it, and and I don't even care that I don't understand how it works. I, as I tell everybody, I just know it'll shock me, it'll kill me, so I stick with the switches. I keep plastic and rubber between me and that wire, and I'm good. Mr. Rao, I talk to Mr. Rao. Mr. Rao start talking to me about things, and pretty soon I'm like, dude you might as well be speaking Hebrew or Greek to me right now because I don't even know what you're talking about. He's so, like, up there technologically because he, he understands electricity. All I know is I just want that light to come on when I flip that switch because I can't read my Bible in the dark. So I don't care about whether I understand how electricity works. I just want it to work so when I read my Bible, I can get out of my Bible what I need. You don't have to understand how we've all come to be where we are today, but we do need to know this. There are no random events. And there are times in history when single events on single days literally change the world. And here's what you don't know and what I don't know. You don't know and I don't know how God will take you or your children or your grandchildren Your situation, your circumstance, you don't know how God's going to take that and use it. Maybe not to change the world, but He might change your world. He might change the world of someone close to you. He might change the world of the person sitting in the cubicle next to you. Do you believe that? The fact that you now have the freedom to read this Bible, the fact that you now have the ability given to you by men who've spilt their blood for you, to read this Bible in a language you can understand? That's huge. The fact that you don't even have to have it on paper and ink anymore, Gutenberg's outdated. Now we can just get it through the airwaves. Man, talk about not understanding how that works. Electricity's simple to me. I I don't know how all that other stuff works, but I know I can get on my computer and I can pull up any Bible I want, any translation I want, any document I want. I don't have to travel to a library, I just type it in and poof, it's right there, it comes to me. You think that's a random event? That's not a random event. You know how that technology has come to put, be in the possession of people like us? Because men like Gutenberg and men like Luther and men like Wyclef and Huss laid their life down for something as simple as a printing press but the ability to print information, the ability to disseminate information meant that now people who had no chance to be educated could be educated. People who would go through all of their life and die and never know how to read one word, now they can read a book. And we have kids today, kids I'm talking to you, who despise education. But I'm gonna tell you what, education is one of the most important endeavors You can involve yourself in. You don't have to go to great universities to get an education. You have the ability to educate yourself right now in your own home using a mobile device you can hold in your hand or using a computer you can sit on your desktop. We have no excuse to not be educated, to not know the truth. We have no excuse except our laziness and our indifference. And if there is any group of people on planet Earth that should value education, that should value and understand the importance and the power of it, it should be the Christian church. Because it was given to the Christian church, it was given to people who believe and follow Christ. Now you have the power to read this word, you have the spirit on the inside of you, you can be set free. Because you can know the truth. Truth is not valued in our nation. It's becoming less and less valuable. Indifference. Church, I'm charging you that you not allow that to happen in your life, in the lives of the people you have influence of, and that you speak loud and clear that you don't become a person indifferent to the truth. Because if we become indifferent to the truth, we're gonna sink back into the very conditions that existed before the Reformation. And what we need today, what we need in America, what we need in the church, we need a Reformation. We need a Reformation. And we have many more people, many more tools, many more resources to affect that Reformation. Cry out to God on behalf of the sin of indifference. On behalf of our laziness. On behalf of our willingness to just let the truth fall by the wayside. Cry out to God and ask that He would hear from Heaven and heal our land. Ask that He would restore the fire to His church. And that's not That's not me. That's all of us. You are the church. We are the church. We don't just need pastors on fire. We need the church on fire. We need people passionate for truth who are willing to sacrifice whatever. John Huss was burned at the stake. William Tyndall was strangled to death and then burned at the stake you know what the last words of William Tyndall were before he was burned at the stake Lord open the eyes of the king of England actually he said Lord open the king of England's eyes he was talking about old King Henry his last words Lord open the the king of England's eyes. Do you know what happened four years later? Four years later, the king sanctioned the printing of the great Bible. And guess whose work he used to print it? He used the work of William Tyndall. Did God hear William Tyndall's prayer? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Was William Tyndall's death At the stake, a lost cause? No, it wasn't. Do you have that conviction? Do you have that faith that God could take your life and use your life in that way? Maybe not to change a nation, but how about changing your own life? How about changing your own family? How about changing your church? How about changing your community? If we'll just start right there, Luther didn't set out to change the world. He just wanted to change the church. He just wanted to take care of the people he was responsible for. And he felt their pain and knew that what was being done to them was wrong. It was an injustice. And he just wanted to make an injustice known. And that simple act of courage of nailing that piece of paper to the castle door has literally changed every one of our lives in ways that we will never fully know. I read to you last week the letter Jesus dictated to the church at Ephesus, and he says, I have this against you, that you you have left your first love. And he says this to the church. He said, remember... Remember from where you have fallen, repent, and do the first works. Let's not forget. Let's remember. Let's remember our first love. Let's repent. Let's do the first works. Let's remember lest we forget and repeat the pain of history. That's the road our nation and the world is headed down right now, but we have hope because God has put a seed in the earth. God has put a remnant in the earth. The church is here. She can be salt and light once again. Now, I can't do anything about the rest of the world, but I'm speaking to Christ Fellowship Church. I'm speaking to the believers in this room, and I'm telling you, let's be salt and light. Let's make a difference. Let's not forget. Let's remember. Let's... Come back to our first love and let's lay down our life. I doubt any of you will be burned at the stake. But there will be cost involved for you to stand for the truth. Are you willing to pay those? Are you willing to pay the cost for the sake of truth? That may change the life of your children, your grandchildren, or someone later on. I pray that you are. Let's get ready and let's come to the table.